0: 5, 13 through 16, that is in the bulletin, we continue our sermon series, Kingdom Life in a Fallen World. Hear these words of the Lord. This is Jesus speaking. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The word of the Lord Thank you God. God. They were called the Essenes. A community of people, a Jewish community of people, that lived in the time of Jesus. They were devout, they were religious, and they were followers of the word. And they believed that the word, the world was, with un, uh, was not possible to be saved, that the goal of their community was to preserve themselves from the decaying of the world. And so they withdrew from the world. They settled on the far side of the Dead Sea to become their own community known as the Huron community. There they stayed together, they worshipped together, and they died together. In fact, many of us know about the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were the scriptures that they painstakingly copied down and put in clay jars in caves. No one exactly knows what happened to the Essenes, but they were a picture of religious devoutness, not that much different from the monastic communities of the Middle Ages. Well, they were called the Essenes, but they are also, this other group, called Switchfoot. Switchfoot, I know about Switchfoot because I went to see them at the Norva on Thursday. Switchfoot is a band, and they're a great band that plays Christian venues, non-Christian venues. They've widely been recognized. They're in NFL commercials. They're in Blackberry commercials. They play in secular ven- uh, venues far from the Christian faith. Now it was interesting as I went to the Norva with my son down in Norfolk, and I saw a variety of different people who were coming to see Switchfoot. Some who were clearly of the youth group variety, and some which had a a variety of various piercings and other accoutrements, who were coming to see Switchfoot as well. You know, Switchfoot has sometimes been referred to as a Christian rock band, But the band has always disagreed with this philosophically. John Foreman, the lead man, says, for us it's a faith, not a genre. We've always been very open and honest about where the songs are coming from. For us, these songs are for everyone. Calling us Christian rock tends to be a box that closes some people out and excludes them. And that's not what we're trying to do. Music has always opened my mind and that's what we want. Switchwood received some criticism uh, a little while ago for signing with a major non-Christian label, Columbia Records, in addition to being with the Christian label, Sparrow. But Foreman says, as a Christian, I have a lot to say within the walls of the church, but also as a Christian, I've got a lot to say just about life in general. So to be able to be on Columbia and on Sparrow felt like the realization of two sides of what we have to say. It's a dream come true to be able to have songs that are outside of the Christian box. So two groups, two philosophies, which is right? This is the question we all are challenged with as we seek to be in the world and yet not of the world. In fact, this really is the theme of this Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is preaching, about living a kingdom life in a fallen world. And if you'll remember, Jesus has been talking about who we are, these beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And now he's moving into specific applications about how this kingdom life plays out in the world. And he calls us salt and light. Now in these terms he gives us a picture of how we are to interact with the world. He gives us an identity. and identity determines responsibility if we understand what we are, we'll understand the nature of what it is that we are to do. And so we're going to look at this passage about being salt and light, and there are three points that I've been able to glean from this passage. Number one, we are different, and therefore we must accept responsibility for what that means. Number two, we are salt, and since we are salt, we are called to preserve the world. And then finally, number three, we are light. And as we are light, we are not only called to preserve the world, but we are called to proclaim the word. So let's look at these three points because identity determines responsibility. Number one, we are different. So we must accept responsibility for what that means. We see here that he is contrasting these two kingdoms. There's one group of people, who have been called out of darkness, known as believers, and there is the world. We see this language all throughout the Bible, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And so he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Notice that he uses the indicative there. He doesn't say you might be the salt of the earth. He doesn't say, strive to be the light of the world. He simply says, you are. This is what you are. Now, if Jesus is contrasting believers with the world, we need to understand what the world is. And the way we can understand that is by looking at the opposites. Well, we understand that. If there's light, what is the opposite of light? Well, that's darkness. <clears throat> we see this in Colossians 1.14. Where where Paul says, may you be strengthened with all power, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. He's saying, you used to live in this kingdom of darkness. But Jesus has come in and he's taken you from one point and he's transferred you into a new kingdom. The kingdom of the light. Ephesians 5, 4 spells it out even more. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. Live as children of the light. See, this was Jesus' mission, wasn't it? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so this life of Jesus Christ has come into us. We have the light of Christ. So much so that he actually says that we are light. So the opposite of light is darkness. But well, what's the opposite of salt? Okay, this one's a little more tricky. You have to understand salt and its function in, uh, in the ancient Near East. We understand salt is a preservative. We do, do this, you know, keep in mind back then there were no refrigerators. Okay, you had something, you get it from the market, and it instantly starts to decay. So if you wanted something to last, you would have to cover it with salt as a preservative. Indeed, because salt fights off decay and rottenness. They even did this in the Old Testament when there was a baby born. They would take finely ground salt and they would rub it over the baby because that would cover over the the amniotic fluid and the placenta and things that could cause infection. It would serve as a shield, if you will, to prevent decay and rottenness. What we're seeing here, by us being called salt, is that we have been preserved from rottenness and decay. But even more than having been preserved, we are actually called a preservative. You are the salt of the earth. Well, salt was not only used as a preservative, but it was used for flavor. Things would start to go bad, and it wouldn't be so tasty. But you had to eat it, so you needed to flavor it up. So what would you use? A very common table thing, condiment there was salt. They would add salt to add flavor and zest to the meal. And what Jesus is saying is that you are the zest of the earth, called not only to preserve, but to bring life to things that are dying. Now why do you think Jesus used these two analogies of salt and light? I can think of two reasons. The first is salt and light are extremely stable. Salt is calcium chloride. That's its molecular structure. And it's extremely strong as a bond. It's very hard to break up these two chemicals. They can pretty much not be overcome by anything on the earth. It rather overcomes other things. That's why when you spread a little bit of salt, you can taste it immediately. But Jesus says, this is why he's so incredulous. If salt has lost its taste, how can it become salty again? Because that's so crazy that it would lose its taste. Salt, by its very nature, is salty. There is one way to stop salt, and that is to dilute it. Because when salt comes up against H2O, H2O has that ability to pull apart the molecules so that they get deleted and the, uh, diluted and they lose their power. Well, what about light? Light is very, very hard to stop as well, right? You can try to break it apart, you know, with a prism. But if you break light apart, you don't just get darkness, do you? You just get different colors of light. Light and salt are extremely stable. But they're also extremely influential. See, they're designed to give out... Salt and light expend themselves. They penetrate. They invade. Anybody ever done this? You know, you close your blinds and you try to go to sleep, but there's a full moon, and light finds a way to stream into the darkness. Indeed, the darker the darkness, the greater the light. And salt spreads too, doesn't it? You put a little bit in your baking, and it just seems to permeate and pervade. See, no one takes light, and puts it under a basket. The point of light is to light. Why do I tell you all of these things? Why is Jesus telling us all these things? Because the point is that we have been made salt and light for a reason. We're made to influence the world. Not to hide from it, but rather to penetrate it, to permeate it. Our identity determines our responsibility. Indeed, the very mission of Jesus Christ, the original salt and light, is bound up in us through our nature of faith in Him. We're designed to go out of the salt shaker and into the world. Some of you uh, have heard about the Dead Sea. I wonder if Jesus, as He was telling this parable, was looking over at the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea in Hebrew is Yam Ha Mave, which literally means "killer sea." <coughs> The killer sea and the reason it's the killer sea is because it's six to ten times saltier than the ocean the result is if a fish ever instantly swims down the Jordan and hits the Dead Sea it instantly dies because it can't live in that environment in fact nothing lives in the killer sea except a couple of bacteria and that's it what's the problem with the killer sea the problem is stuff comes in but it doesn't go out. See, it's a dead sea. Things pool, but it just stays pool. It never goes out. And as a result, it never gives life. It simply coagulates and pools and it kills. See, you and me, we must recognize who we are. You might say, well, I don't have any influence. I'm not having any impact there are a couple questions that we have to ask. The first is, have you become deluded? See, we're called to be different, and part of that means living different. Christianity is not an intellectual ascent. Rather, it's a movement of one's whole life to living a different way. And so we are designed to live apart from the world, in the world. Have you become deluded? How about the second question? Are you bottled up like the killer seed? See, are you spreading? Where are you looking to shine? Well, you may say to yourself, well, I, I don't have anything to give. But when you think about it, where does this salt and light come from? Is it not Jesus Christ who is made as salt and light? Are we not carriers of Christ? 2 Corinthians 4 or 5 says it this way. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ, who is Lord and Savior. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not for us. See, you and I are designed to flow not like the Dead Sea, but like the ocean. So are we too concerned with our life, my world, my hobbies, my fears, even my church to engage in the world? You know, a church can become a killer sea, sort of just turns inward and doesn't look out. And so we must not fall in that trap because identity determines responsibility. We must reach out. We talked at the beginning of this year that we were looking at doing several initiatives to engage our community with the love of Christ. We haven't made a lot of headway with that. And I'm going to adjust that, really, to just one initiative. What's something that we can do together as a church to engage with our world, to show the love of Christ? Because we are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Well, this brings me to my second point, that we are called to preserve We'll talk a little bit more about salt. Now, salt has a negative purpose, and it has a positive purpose. Well, the negative purpose is to prevent decay. I already said that, right? Well, how do you prevent decay? Well, you gotta salt something. Okay, so let's say we've got a piece of meat. It's going bad. We gotta salt it. So we take a little thing and we just dabble a little bit of salt on it, right? No, no if you want to salt something, you pour a ton of salt in your hand, And you take the meat and you, right here, you start working it into the pores of the meat. You have to salt it and really get involved if you want to make sure that that meat is going to be taken care of. Now, if I was that piece of meat and that salt came on me and started rubbing, you know what I would say? Ouch. Because salt is an astringent. Salt is abrasive. But that's what Jesus is saying, is that we are supposed to rub into the world. Wow, thank you, Thanks. The timing is perfect when I really need strong. We're supposed to rub into the world, we're supposed to engage it. Now it's no surprise to any of us here that the world is decaying, is it? If you don't believe me, just turn on the TV. Turn on the internet and start looking around and pretty soon you'll come up against it. I mean, I'm just astounded in just the short period of time when I was a kid, to now, it seems like we're a world that's an intent on devising new ways to be evil. There's decay and rottenness in the world, and yet we're called to preserve what is rotting. And the truth of the matter is, if we rub salt into the world, the world is not going to like it sometimes. I think the reason decay is accelerating the world, frankly, is because the church is retreating from engaging with the world. But Jesus did not call us to be the honey of the earth. He called us to be the salt of the earth. The gospel of Jesus Christ is offensive because it claims that we're sinners in need of a Savior. When you think about it, that's exactly why the world hates Christianity. The world gives a lot of religions a pass, doesn't it? But Christianity doesn't get a pass. It gets hit, and it gets hit hard. Think about it. Jesus was the most salty person that ever lived, wasn't he? I mean, think about it. He walks into the temple. He sees the corrupt structures. And what does he do? He goes (coughs) crazy. He starts turning over temples. And shouting in people's faces, how dare you turn my father's house into a den of robbers. And when Jesus saw the Pharisees and the corrupt religio-political structure, he got right in their face. And he called them out for their corruption. Jesus was offensive. And as a result, they wanted to kill him. See, the problem with the church today, I believe, is we have such a desire to be liked and not offend that perhaps we're watering down the gospel to the point we're just given some good advice. Ten ways to love your spouse better, four ways to take care of your finances. I'm not saying those things aren't important, but Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And so we must rub into the world. Where salt has a negative purpose, but it also has a positive purpose. You know, we're not called not just to stand up against what is evil, but to stand up for what is good. See, Christians sometimes get a bad rap because we're known for what we stand against rather than we stand for, for. You know, but there are a lot of beautiful things in this world that God is working on through his people and through his own actions. Christians are invading culture in a way like they never have since the Middle Ages, in areas of politics and religion and music and culture. And part of our responsibility is to support and uplift those things, both communally and personally. One of my friends that I have a great pleasure of knowing is Scott Ridgell. Scott and I were on the vestry. This is Congressman Scott Ridgell for people uh, who don't live in this area. Scott and I were on the vestry at Galilee Church and we're both elders at Trinity Church where I used to pastor. Scott is a very wealthy guy. He's done very well in business. He owns car dealerships. And Scott could have very easily sat back on his laurels and enjoyed life for the rest of his life. But Scott felt the calling to engage in the political sphere and to bring the light of Christ into the political sphere. So he ran a tremendous campaign for Congress, and he won. Well, at least recently, Scott came up against the challenge of his faith and life. There was a memorandum that went out in Congress that you were not allowed, that you were not supposed to send out any sort of things into your constituency that either said Merry Christmas or Happy Hanukkah. Scott said, "Uh uh-uh, that ain't gonna happen. In fact, I had the video. He sent out a YouTube video, which I had on my laptop, but unfortunately I can't get it here. So all I can do is I can play you the audio of the video greetings from Scott Ridgeell. You can crank this one up, I'd appreciate it. Ask your question. You think Scott took some heat over that? Absolutely, he did. But Scott said, "I'm called to be salt, and I'm called to be light. And here I am. And so unabashedly, I'm going to stand up for Christ. And that's exactly what he's doing. So thankful that he is in office. This isn't a particular, you know, promotion of a particular party. Just of my friend, Scott Ridgely. See you." What we are called to do is to be that type of people, to engage with the world. So the question I have for you is, are you salty? Are you salty? Are you engaged in the world? Maybe you go to the PTA meeting and you see that there's something that they're promoted that you know is godless, that you know is wrong, that is against what is true and right. Do you speak up or not? See, there are plenty of places that we can stand up for our faith, whether at work or in politics or in the family, you name it, both corporately but also personally. Where does our money go that we spend? Who are we putting in the pockets of? What are we promoting by what we buy? See, the place that we need to do is to find where is our passion and where is our voice, and we need to speak See, we're either thermometers or we're thermostats. You know the difference between them? Thermometer rises and falls with whatever's around it. But a thermostat sets the temperature and holds the line. That's what we are called to be. It was Sir Frederick Herod that said, To try to improve society is not worldliness, but love. But to wash your hands of society is not love, but worldliness. Identity determines. <laughs> well, this brings me to my last point, that we are called to proclaim. Non-Christians, people that do not have faith yet, need more than barricades. They need regeneration. It's not enough to curb someone's actions. What people need is a change of heart. And so Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do you light a light and put it under a bowl." but rather you make it shine and it gives light to everyone in the house. Jesus was the light that came into the darkness to bring good news. This message of the gospel, of reconciliation with God, of forgiveness for our sins, of the chance for communion and fellowship, of being in a right place with God. That message he has committed to us. We are the light of the world. And so what is it we are called to show? To shine, it's the gospel. You know, I never met Jesus in person. He was resurrected before I was born. But a trusted friend shared with me the words of the gospel, and I was transformed. See, we don't have the power to change anyone, but the gospel does. Romans 1.16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation to those who are, to those who believe. But Romans 10, 13 says this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone telling them? And how can they preach uh, unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I don't know if you remember what it's like to be in the darkness. When you're in the darkness, you're lost. You can't find your way out. Darkness brings fear. Darkness brings anger. You know what happens when there's a blackout in the city? Looting. Looting. And so people need light. But this light is designed to enter into the darkness. See, one of the key things about this passage is the concept of location. God has placed these lights in different places. A city on a hill a light in a particular house, that it may give light to those who are in that house. As such, if you are a Christian, you are a lamp that God has placed in a particular area to shine the light of Christ into them. Well, how do we shine this light? Notice the last verse. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. Jesus is telling us that this message of the gospel is inseparable from the person who shares it. See, the works that he's talking about is not just your works. He's talking about the totality of your whole life, the product of how you live, the product of what you say, the product of how you respond. We are lights on display for the world to see. All of them transmit the light. And so we are called to shine before others, not in a fake way, but rather by showing lives that have been transformed by the gospel. Was that not the way of Jesus, who became flesh and dwelt among us, so that we might see his life and the light of the gospel in the way he lived? If your life is a contradiction of your words, it's like taking a basket and putting it right over so that no one can see light. I'm reminded of a story of two prisoners uh, at Oxford. This was, I don't know, in the 1600s. Nicholas Ridley, 55, the recent Bishop of London, and the Bishop of Worcester, Hugh Latimer. On this day, they were both being led to their death, walking cheerfully. Are you there, Ridley, calls to his friend. Yes, I'm coming as quickly as I can, replies the 75-year-old Hugh Latimer, affectionately known as Old Father Latimer. Why were these men, these bishops, former bishops, on trial? For defying Mary, the Queen of Scots, with the message that we are saved by grace alone. See, Mary had said, no, the way that we are saved is by the sacraments. If you don't take the sacraments given by the church, you are not saved. You have to do something. But Latimer and Ridley says no. It is by the grace of God and the work of Jesus Christ that we are saved and saved alone. And so before they're to be burned at the stake, they hear the message from the Catholic preacher Repent and come home to the church, and you will save your lives and your souls. May we speak, asked Ridley, only if you renounce your erroneous opinions. Well, So long as breath is in my body, I will never deny the Lord and his truth. God's will be done to me. And so the executioner fastens a chain around the waist of both men, and they tie bags of gunpowder around their necks and light a bundle of sticks at their feet. And Latimer is heard to say, Be of good courage, Master Ridley, and play the man. For we shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England, as I trust, shall never be put out. Every year, Latimer and Ridley are honored in the Church of England and the Episcopal Church for their courageous act of faith. See, Ridley and Latimer brought light into the world by the way that they live, and it cost them their lives. And yet they did start a fire in the Reformation that has never, ever been put out. See, friends, you and I, are the light of the world are we hiding we must let the light shine in our life to burn brighter so that the message of Christ will go out to the ends of the earth it was John Wesley that said if a man would catch on fire people will come from miles around just to watch him burn part of our responsibility is to be caught up in the gospel of Jesus Christ to read his word, to come to him in prayer, to come together as a church that we may burn together brightly, that we may, with God's grace, light such a light in Virginia Beach that we trust it will never be put out. (laughs) Identity determines responsibility. You are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Remember that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that when we were darkness, the light of Jesus shined into our hearts and we were transformed, transferred from one dominion to another. And Lord, you who are bound up in us have given us light and salt so that we are salt and light in you. Lord, help us to understand the responsibility that comes along with that. To expand, to pervade, to permeate, to bring your message to those who are lost and in the darkness. Lord, we don't preach ourselves, we don't have any power. But you are the power of life. Lord, help us to turn our eyes upon you and to look full in your face. So that everything else would grow dim and that we would be lit on fire for you. That we may bring your gospel to the world. All of this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.